Welcome back. Another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. Yours truly, Mike Wobshaw Wobby here as usual. My partner, co-host, Giles, also here. Excited to talk to you guys today about the Minnesota Vikings. Specifically, we're going to get into our last conversation about the Vikings Hall in the 2023 NFL Draft. Last week, we broke down the first three picks the Vikings had in the draft. Today, we break down the final three picks the Vikings had in the draft. Three players I'm actually excited to talk about uh, because I think a couple of them can contribute right away. And I, I actually came away from the draft as excited, if not more excited for these last three picks as I was for the first three. So excited to break that down and talk about it with you guys. Also today, we'll talk about the Zadarius Smith trade, the pros of it, the cons of it, the what happens, uh, the why, the when, all of that, and then we'll preview what's to come next weekend in future episodes of the Wobcast 2.0. So lots to get to today. Excited to do all of it and excited to do it with my partner, Giles. How's it going, bud? Hey, hey, how we doing? Happy uh, Tuesday. We're one step closer to the best day of the week. Monday's almost here. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, kind of in similar vein, the rookie mini cap is going on right now. So yep. super excited to see some of the new players that we drafted on the field. Uh, some good uh, vibes coming out of the room in Egan, uh, especially uh, considering the whole haul that we got. We got Jaron Hall, who apparently mm -hmm. has had some uh, good show offs here on the limited few snaps that they've had. So uh, definitely excited to chat through it. I remember Giles being um, behind the ropes as I was for so many years with the Vikings. You know, the, the draft was a, you know, it, it was a two day event then a three day event. Um, so, but whatever format it was, when it was over, you had the big rush of the undrafted free agent signing. So the draft would be over and, you know, all the TV shows are doing their, their draft recaps and the wrap-ups and all that. But inside the buildings, scouts and coaches are on two different phones and talking to this guy and talking to that guy. And we're trying to convince this guy to come and, and try out with us and this guy to sign an undrafted free uh, rookie free agent contract with us. And it's just pandemonium for like an hour right after the draft. And then that would, that would be over. And the pandemonium would subside. And a cooler or two might be brought out, or we might go to a, um, a restaurant nearby and they'd have a room set up for us. And you just kind of decompress in that moment. And it was always lots of like back slaps and fist pounds and high fives. And it's like, you, you don't know if any of these guys are good or not, but it's, you know, great draft, good draft, good draft. Like, can you believe that guy was there? Oh my God, we're sweating that one out. I can't believe you know, Diggs was still there in the fourth round. So glad we got him. Like, it's just all this, like, there's so much positive upward energy and momentum in that moment. And then the next day comes and you go to work and, or maybe you got the day off, but two days come and you come back to the building and you sort of start gearing up for what you just said is happening, Giles. And that's rookie minicamp. And a, a lot of times the scouts, would stay in town for that rookie mini camp. It might be three days later. It might be the next weekend, whatever it might be, but they'll, they'll stay in town or they'll leave, but they'll come back. And because the scouts are broken down into geographical area, the college scouts. So they, they mm -hmm. scout a certain part of the country. And especially if there's one, two or more players from their area who made it as part of the draft class or the undrafted class, they can't wait mm -hmm. to be there and watch them in, in our colors, Yeah, you know, and you just, I just remember that moment, no matter how you did last season, how poorly the season went, how great the season went, you're in the same place as every other team in that moment. You're watching a bunch of babies, you know, NFL babies out on the field, and you're just so proud of them and you're so tickled to have them. And 
optimism just reigns so supreme at this time mm-hmm. of year. And I can, I can sense that in what I'm watching from the Vikings at rookie camp, the media reports, what I'm seeing on social media, what I'm seeing fans talking about, like, it's just like the, you know, the day after Christmas, you know, mm-hmm. and you open up all these presents and you can't wait to touch them and play with them yep. and put them into action. And, um, it's really kind of a fun, a fun time of year. There's not like, because the draft, you build it up so much and so much, so often in life, Giles, you build something up and then it happens and there's this just let down. And that does not happen in the NFL because you, you stay at the facility, you got this rookie camp. So I just sense that a lot. Uh, and I'm sure you've been watching, reading the same things that I have and our listeners have been, and, and maybe you sense that too, but I just sense a lot of positivity from TCO lately. Yeah, hundred percent. I was getting compared to uh, kind of a honeymoon period, so to speak, where yeah. you're all focused on upside of what they can be. Uh, the downside has not either been discovered or really been identified or really focused on much. So uh, it's always a fun period where you get to focus on the upside, which is uh, a good philosophy to have in life. I think life will always have its challenges in my opinion, but focusing on the upside, having a level of optimism and focusing on what could be is always a good posture to have in life. So, uh, I always like to aspire that to the NFL, uh, and yeah. really kind of uh, looking at the, all what they could do for your team. And I think when you bring that down to actual reality for the Vikings, I think the last three picks are really, really intriguing, especially yeah. the, the, the Jaron Hall pick, um, yeah. I really think uh, outside of the the first round quarterbacks, he was actually one of my favorite, uh, even beyond Hendon Hooker uh, and the other ones available. Yeah. Uh, really intrigued by him, not only uh, unable what he's able to do on the field, uh, but also from a leadership standpoint, his savviness, so to speak. Um, really excited to chat through all those different options. And we'll talk about Hall, Roy, and McBride uh, later on in the Wobcast 2.0 today as we break down those selections and how they can help the Vikings right away and what their career might project to as members of the Minnesota Vikings in the National Football League. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, a couple of things. I was at TCO Performance Center on Sunday, Giles, not Mm. as part of a rookie tryout, not to watch practice, but as part of the Susan G. Komen Walk for the Cure. Uh, So a belated happy Mother's Day to any of the moms who might be listening. I did not get a glimpse at anything Vikings related. The facility looked pretty closed and shut down to me. But uh, we trudged through the rain, the muck and the mud and walked around TCO Performance Center for a while, all in the name of a good cause. So that was that was fun. Uh, But secondly, let's talk about the Zadarius Smith trade. Um, I definitely found myself in the minority, Giles, uh, with Vikings Nation on this. I I feel it's been a very I think this trade has been very positively received. Mm-hmm. by our brethren uh, in Vikings Nation. Our brothers and sisters, I think, love it. Um, and the reason I think that is because I got absolutely steamrolled on Twitter, which <laughs> I enjoy. You know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's not my, like, how I'm going to feel about something. I don't get validation if I'm agreed with or disagreed with on Twitter. I'm just observing. Yeah. It was me against the world, I think, uh, for a little while there when I expressed a little confusion at what the Vikings received in exchange for Zadarius Smith. So I definitely think it was a move Vikings fans like. I will say, uh, let's talk about this a little bit. I don't necessarily disagree that he should have been traded. I get why he was. I just don't know if I love the return or the timing of it. Mm-hmm. But um, clearly a move the Vikings, uh, Vikings fans loved and uh, a move that creates a little bit of cap room for the team. Mm-hmm. And 
creates an opportunity for a, a particular player on the roster to step up and get a little more playing time. So mm-hmm. uh, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, let me know and let us know, Giles, how you felt about it when you saw it roll through. I kind of scratched my head a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, although I do in the long run get why they did it. Um, but curious to know your thoughts on it. Yeah, no, it's definitely a move that I was uh, maybe not disappointed for. Uh, that's maybe the wrong word, but I was really hoping that we could maybe find a way to keep him because uh, when healthy last year, he was one of the best, if not the best edge rushers in football last year. Yeah. He was number one in sacks, number one in pressures. Like he was a force to be reckoned with. And uh, when you pair that on the opposite side of Daniil Hunter, when used correctly, you were in a phenomenal position. That's even yep. before you added Marcus Davenport. Uh, I think uh, someone from ESPN recently came out last week and said, with the addition of Marcus Davenport, the Vikings had the best edge rusher group in football, which we've talked yeah. a lot about this before. If you're trying to present a, a Super Bowl contending defensive uh, roster, you have to be able to be great at something. And we were a lot closer to being great at pressure than we were in the, in the secondary. So um, yeah. definitely, I think you're having to take a step backwards. Uh, that's that's definitely for sure. I mean, Zadarius Smith was a great player when healthy, uh, dealt with some knee issues on the latter half of the season. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, he still graded out at an 83 grade the entire season. Um, great in pass rush, he had an 85 grade. I mean, it was almost his best season uh, in football, period. So uh, I think it's definitely a, a teardrop to see him uh not in purple next year with that being said it's happened like it's done it's signed sealed delivered so at the end of the day we're moving forward so uh when you when you uh take a step back and then look at marcus davenport who will ultimately be the replacement for zadarius smith uh, i think there's a lot to be excited about i don't think he is necessarily zadarius smith but he is a heck of a lot younger uh and still produces at a pretty elite level when on the field and when healthy uh in 2021 he ended the year at an 88.8 grade uh, when it came to, to um, being an edge rusher. Last year, um, he was injured a little bit, um, which I think is maybe uh, something to be concerned about, but he still had yep. a 76 grade uh, and overall defensive uh, PFF grade. So um, honestly, he's never been below a 70 other than his his rookie year, which was like a 0.2% uh, away from being a 70 grade. So this guy has always been at least above average, if not elite in every uh, year he's suited up. So I'm very excited to see what he could be. Uh, more importantly, he has a smaller cap than what I think Zedaria Smith was asking for, which is truly, I think, the element that caused him to be traded. I think, uh, although I, I don't disagree that we didn't, uh, we didn't get enough back for him considering he's one of the best head rushers in football, I think considering he's on the last year of his rookie deal and he had essentially publicized that he's like, hey, I want out, uh, it didn't necessarily put the Vikings into a great negotiation position. So with all those things being considered, I'm glad that we at least got two fifth rounders out of it in contrast to just being cut and having gotten nothing. Um, but I think he must have asked for something obscene that we weren't able to uh, compensate for, considering and, and, that we have Justin Jefferson and all those other ones coming up. Okay. So, and you hit on a really good point at the very end there, Guile, um, that he may have been asking for something that is obscene or completely undoable that we don't know about, right? And the team has not shared that, and the team is wise uh, to do that, to not share that. Um, so... And there may also have been something in the contract related to a payment or a liability um, that made them do the move when they did it as opposed to waiting. Because my two sharpest criticisms about this are, why now? Why not wait until a team needs it? A guy goes down in, in an OTA or goes down in training camp or whatever, and they needed a starting edge rusher, and now you've really got them. Um, between a rock and a hard spot, and they're going to give up more than a, a couple fists for it. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't know what went into the timing. And then I, I also don't know truly how unhappy he was because 
he certainly is not the first player to proclaim displeasure with where he is and he wants to be gone. That -hmm. happens. But what happens as much as that player being cut or traded is something happens where there's a concession made here, concession made there, and all of a sudden I'm happy to be here. I mean, Mm -hmm. Lamar Jackson didn't want to be in Baltimore anymore, right? Yep. Okay, well, he's still there. So, because yep. <laughs> uh, they paid him. And so oh, I just, up. right. So those are the things I didn't like. And, and the other thing is, I thought they had one of the best pass rushing groups with the th- the trio they had. Mm-hmm. And now without Smith, they're one injury away from having to trade two fifth round picks for an edge rusher, mm-hmm. which they just traded an edge rusher away for two fifth round picks, right? Yep. So and more than likely you're not getting a Zedarius Smith level player if you, you won't. do do that. Yeah. Yeah, you won't. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, also like the one criticism on Zedarius Smith is how often is he available? And I'm like, well how how often is Daniil Hunter available? Mm-hmm. How, I mean I think Smith's played in more games than Hunter has the last five years and he's certainly played in more games than Davenport has. Yep. So and fits better into a three, four defense, if we're being honest. Yeah. Good point. And like, that was my favorite thing about the criticism of um, the Georgia quarterback Stenson was that he was too mm-hmm. small. That's why he was falling. And mm-hmm. I'm like the number one pick in the draft is smaller than him and he's going to go first overall. And yep. so that's why I'm like, we're going to criticize Zedarius Smith for being hurt or not playing much when you're going to be relying on Davenport and Hunter who yep. have played less. Yep. So I, I don't know. It didn't sit, didn't, feel right to me yep I the only thing against on. him is his age uh and maybe yeah. that's what factored into it but aside but, from his age i would have much rather had zadarius smith and daniel hunter yeah if you're going to maintain mean, a three four defense me too and i think if i'm power ranking smith hunter and davenport i'm putting smith one yep 100 you know and that's a thing that's another like sub point of the twitter conversation that people just looked at me like i was from mars mm-hmm. but i'm like i'm i'm sorry i would i mean this isn't this isn't a Mike Zimmer 4-3 defense where Daniil Hunter is basically the prototype for what Mike yep. Zimmer wants. 100%. Daniil Hunter is not the prototype for what the Vikings defense is asking of his position. He's no. learning a new position. Zadarius Smith is 100% what you want. And yep. he's a, he's and a dog. at it. He yeah. is a dog. And every team he's been on in his career has made the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I just think Vikings fans are shortchanging him a little bit. And... Mm-hmm. I'm from Minnesota myself, so I'm levying this criticism a little bit at myself. But here in this state, we are very territorial. We are very provincial. So mm-hmm. when you declare that you don't want to be here anymore, we're like, huh, okay, see ya. You know, don't want you. you. Yep, never yeah. wanted you anyway. Didn't want you yeah. anyway. And I think that's what happened with Zadarius Smith. He said, mm-hmm. I don't want to be here anymore. And then Vikings fans just gave up on him. Yeah. And in the middle of the next season, I bet you Ravens fans are going to be glad they didn't do that to Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson came back and he's probably going to ball out for him. Mm-hmm. And when Vikings fans, when you're missing pass rush this year and you're asking the front office to go get a pass rusher, just remember you traded away Zadarius Smith. So 100%. Yeah. And I think um, we mentioned this earlier in the season. I think there's there's three reasons that we only got two fifth round picks back. I think one is timing uh, because of the distance from the draft and uh, yeah. necessities needed on other teams, um, his age and the amount of contract left on the table. He only has a year left, right? And I've said yeah. this before earlier in the season, I'm a much bigger advocate to extending him, giving him, give him six years for all I care. I mean, look what they did with um, 
uh, what's his name from, uh, from the bills after he went from uh, LA, um, they gave yeah. him a long-term contract to spread that over. So then when you're trying to trade him away, you have a lot more that you are trading, right? Yeah. Even if you're like, Hey, I want to get rid of Zedaria Smith. Okay. That's fine. We'll add more money to it. Make him happy. Keep him for maybe even one more year while you're maybe still yeah. in a Super Bowl window with your current quarterback, uh, and then trade him off next season. Cause now you could actually make an argument that you could get a, a much higher draft pick. I think in a best case scenario, you could have gotten a first back from him considering his production last year. If he didn't get his knee dinged, I think he was maybe one of the best edge rushers in football, like throughout the entire year. And I think like that deserves early. a first yeah. round pitch or a yeah. first round pitch. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. So I, I don't want to be overly critical on it because I recognize there are components of this whole thing that I am not aware of details mm -hmm. of the contract, the true relationship between Zedarius and the organization, those are all things that matter a great deal. And I have no idea about where they sit. So you can really only be so opinionated on things like this when you're in the chair that I and we are in. Mm -hmm. Knowing what I know, however, that's how I feel about it. I think they're going to yeah. miss them. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it works out. And then I hope the two fifth round picks that they have um, turn out to be like hall of famers and four years, five, six, seven years from now, someone can go find this video and tweet it to me and tell me I'm an idiot. You know, yep. I hope that's what happens. <laughs> but, well, and I, I think know. when it, when it comes to putting together an NFL roster, I think there's so much focus on getting cheaper, at least among fans that I know, like, Oh, we need to get cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. And although I don't disagree, I think the first priority needs to be getting better get better. Yeah. And if you can get better and cheaper, that's obviously the best case scenario, but you never want to get worse and cheaper, at least in my opinion, yeah. at least at the yeah. right positions. And that's one of the most important Great positions point. in football. And I yeah. think we maybe prioritize uh, uh, price a little bit more than production. And I think far too many people are looking at the last quarter of the season when he was hurt saying, ah, he's trash. Look at the first part of the season. Yes. He was the yeah. reasons that we went uh, with the record that we had, he was, yeah. he was far better reason. and more productive yeah. than, uh, Daniel Hunter. Um, he was, a uh, the best piece of our, our so defense by far and away. You bring up a great point about allocation of resources, you know, because this is an edge rusher rushing the passer. It's like we choose as a family, uh, you know, they're in our house. We, we have four kids and they're all mm -hmm. in activities mm -hmm. and they're, they're all in school. They're all in activities. So it's like, we need vehicles that you can rely on that are mm -hmm. big. And like when it's time to get new tires, like we live in Minnesota. So like we get good tires. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so maybe in some other areas, like maybe we buy, um, you know, we get a lot of the, like, we'll buy a lot of clothes at Costco, right? Like we're mm -hmm. not going to Ralph Lauren and yeah. <laughs> we're not going to gap all the time, you know? Yep. So we're given a little there, mm -hmm. right? Because we feel it's important to allocate some resources to these other areas that will benefit us more and that will impact us more. So mm -hmm. to me, Zedaria Smith at 12 million, 14 million, 16 million, whatever you needed to make it, to make him happy here, I'd do that. Mm -hmm. at, to be honest, oh, starting sorry, edge yeah. rusher. Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. And to be honest, I think I would have much rather had Zedaria Smith than Harrison Smith. I know that's a hot take because he's a ring of honor guy. I love Harrison Smith. He's amazing both on and off the field. But if you had to choose, I would have much rather prioritized that money in an edge rusher capacity than a safety, considering yeah. how good our, our safety room is at the moment. Right. So I, I guess that, that kind of puts the bow on the conversation. You actually made, of all the points made, the best one was it happened. It's, it's done. It's over. It happened. So this is where we are. And um, let the chips fall where they may. I don't think it was a three stooges like move by the Vikings front office. I don't think that I'm just on the other side of it, I think is all. Yep. Um, and 
I've been in the league enough and watched enough games as have you to know there's a very good chance that it, at some point in the season and perhaps for an extended time during the season, as a football fan, you're going to say about your team, oh, I wish we had a better pass rush. You're probably going to say that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and you just traded away your best one. So um, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Um, all right, let's talk about the draft. Final three picks. Um, three players to go over, and uh, we will do it in, uh, in chronological order of when they were drafted, which will have us begin with another defensive lineman uh, still on the Minnesota Vikings roster. He was selected in the fifth round, 141st overall, Jaqueline Roy, nose tackle, LSU. My, my reaction when this happened, Giles, was I'm, I, I'm not super familiar with this guy, so I'm going to go watch. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did, and I went and watched him. And I can't, I can't sit here and tell you I watched you know, um, a ton of tape on him. I watched some highlight reels and a couple of games. And I actually think he can play legit nose tackle. Like, I think he can line up over a center and play there in two gap, mm-hmm. yep. which is a, a primary need in this scheme. You need that I guy. Agree. Yep. And I don't have a player comp. I'm not going to go over the top and, and compare him to, to a nose tackle that everyone knows. We'll see how it goes. But I just think you can put him there and ask him to do those things without putting him out of place. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to watch him attempt to do that. Uh, I, I know we've got some bio uh, info to go over here, Giles, and some, some data that we have uh, put together and some PFF grades. But from just a high level point of view and a um, you know first blush, uh, I kind of like the pick. I think he is a guy who could project and develop into a pretty important player for the team pretty early. So I don't want to be too high on him, but I kind of mm-hmm. like the selection. And really, after I started looking at it, I liked him so much that I was like, God, I wonder if I like these final three picks more than the first three. It was how high I was on Roy that's kind of got me down that path. So um, I, I gave this one two thumbs up, and I can't wait to see him play. Yeah, 100%. I could not agree more. I was actually going to make the same comparison. I think he's actually finally the Vikings' true nose tackle on the roster because I think we have a few other defensive tackles that are great um, but don't necessarily fit the true nose tackle uh, format. And I think we've forced other players into that. So I think you might even see a higher production out of other players, including Harrison Smith, uh, when they don't have to play a true nose tackle type capacity. I think you're going to see, Oh, what did I say? Sorry. Uh, Harrison. Harrison Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Harrison Phillips. My apologies. Um, But I think you're going to see a much higher production out of him uh, considering if you can put uh, Jaquel and Roy in at the nose tackle. So uh, across our entire defensive line, I'm really excited about his introduction. Um, Ultimately he's from uh, LSU was born in Baton Rouge. Actually, I went to Louisiana State University Laboratory School. He was a four-star defensive tackle prospect. He was the sixth best defensive tackle prospect in the nation. Um, this guy was a dude. He went uh, back-to-back championship undefeated seasons in high school. Um, uh, he's uh, most uh, uh, you know pro comp uh, uh, to uh, Jaron Reed. Um, hmm. He ultimately committed to LSU and then decommitted. Then he got offers from Alabama, Texas A&M, and then went back to LSU. Uh, wanted to stay home. So this guy, uh, I've heard a lot of 
um, kind of denotes uh, around him that he's a super loyal guy. Um, so I think uh, that'll fit well in the, in the Vikings and more importantly, the Minnesota atmosphere. Um, when he got to LSU, uh, he ultimately skipped his senior year to enter the draft. But before that, he started his first, first two years of college as a defensive tackle. And then his junior year, he switched to nose tackle. And that's where he really started to show up and show off. So really excited to see that. Um, uh, ultimately, he uh, uh, ended his, his junior year at a 71.4 grade. Um, he had some, uh, some uh, a few games that kind of brought him down a little bit uh, in tackling. But other than that, he had a, a pretty phenomenal year. Uh, in 2021, he had an 81.2 grade. Um, this guy, uh, when put in the right position, uh, he can be quite elite at pass rush. Uh, for example, in 2021, he had an 89.6 grade in pass rush uh, at uh, LSU. So I'm really excited for this pick. Um, I think he uh, really presents a really uh, dominant force to our defensive tackle room. Yeah, well stated. And I think the PFF grades broken down um, by running uh, by, by run defense and, and pass rush are interesting because you alluded to this just now, but the pass rush grades are significantly better than the run defense grades. Mm -hmm. And he's going to need to be good against the run to, to be a, a productive player at nose tackle in this scheme. Mm -hmm. But I mean, who doesn't want pass rush from the middle, right? I mean, how often do we hear the analyst in a game talk about, I want to get the quarterback off his spot and get yep. pass interior push. Yeah, you, you can rush anyone from the edge, but they can step up into the pocket and throw the ball. You want pressure from the nose, from the middle, mm -hmm. right? So um, yep. it looks like uh, Jaqueline is a guy who might be able to provide that. Um, yeah, if especially can, in a mobile quarterback environment. Yeah, yeah right. If he can uh, prove his medal also as a, as a run stopper. So mm -hmm. um, I don't think he is overwhelming you with his size. I think he's got to do things. I think he's got to... You know, I, I think of John Randall and I think of Aaron Donald, guys who played inside without mm -hmm. great size, but they could be in there because of how quick they were. Mm -hmm. So I think he's got to have a little bit of that to him where he's he's quick twitch and um, yeah, technique. And that's yeah, technique. And that's more of his advantage as opposed to size, strength and girth like mm -hmm. him against Bradbury is actually a matchup of undersized guys in the middle. But what mm -hmm. about when he goes up against a big center or a big guard? He's mm -hmm. going to be outmatched in terms of a pure strength standpoint. So he's got to have proper technique and leverage in those situations. And then he also got to take advantage of his athleticism and his quickness. So mm -hmm. um, excited to see how he fits in this scheme, see how he's coached here. All right. Uh, next, we'll go to Jaron Hall, uh, obviously a quarterback. So um, I, I think a lot of people viewed the Vikings as a sneaky quarterback team in the first round, but they did not take one in the first, second, third or fourth round, they took Jaron Hall in the fifth round, 164th overall out of BYU. Now, when we talked about him initially, I kind of was presumptive in saying he's going to be the backup. Well, the Vikings have a have an okay backup uh, in Nick Mullen, so he might not mm -hmm. necessarily be the backup so soon. But I guess the point I was trying to make was if you're gonna if your backup or reserve is going to be a young player as opposed to uh, long in the tooth veteran, a good mm -hmm. trait for that young player to have is mobility because mm -hmm. invariably he is going to be rushed out of his reads too early. Mm -hmm. So you're going to want him to be athletic and mobile in those instances, or he's going to get through his progression. Nothing's going to be there or he wasn't confident enough to make a throw. And then he's going to have to get out and, and be athletic. And um, Hall has that to him. So I like that trait about him. I don't want mm -hmm. it to be, uh, primary or even secondary tool that a quarterback uses, 
and you and I align on that. And that, that's always one thing we've wondered about with Lamar Jackson uh, and that mm-hmm. style of play. So, um, I, you know, I don't want that to be the thing he hangs his hat on, but I think it's a nice thing for a quarterback to have in his repertoire. I also think he's got a live arm when you watch him on, I know, I don't think I watched a BYU game, certainly not in person, maybe not even on TV, but when you go back and watch his games back from a, a tape standpoint, he's got a good arm. The whole thing makes all the throws, got a, an arm that pops all that. So um, I think he's got a lot of raw ability and raw tools. Mm-hmm. There is no pressure on him to do anything except sit and learn, Mm -hmm. um, which I think um, more times than not is a good thing. So um, he's not a spring chicken, not a young guy by any stretch, but um, there's no pressure on him to get in there soon, needs to develop as a backup or a reserve and and be ready if called upon. If he's playing in a game this year, it's probably pretty bad news for the Vikings anyway. Yeah, 100%. Unless he has some type of uh, phenomenal camp that uh, highlights something that we haven't seen before, I would agree. I think this is a developmental guy to be for sure. Um, I do think uh, his age was one of the biggest reasons that he was uh, uh, he fell as late as he did. Um, ultimately, he is 25 years old, so he's actually in a similar position that uh, Hendon Hooker is in, uh, which is ultimately why I think Hendon Hooker fell. Um, people want uh, a young uh, rookie quarterback when you get to your fifth year option. Uh, if you do take him in the first round, uh, you don't want them to be 37 years old. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that was a big piece why they fell. Um, this is also some reckless uh, speculation, but I also think um, uh, kind of the BYU comparison might've also made him drop a little bit um, considering what's going on with Zach Wilson. Um, I think mm-hmm. uh, maybe some, there's some BYU, uh, uh, you know, uh, buzz going around that like, Oh, Zach Wilson didn't turn out. So maybe this is not the best place to go grab a quarterback. Um, but outside of that, I'm really intrigued to see what his upside can be considering where he was drafted from. Because, um, when you look at all the different categories, I mean, considering that he came from BYU, uh, he was pretty elite in a lot of categories. He ended the year at an 86.3 grade, um, which I think is, is fantastic. I mean, ultimately he did grow up in Utah. Um, he's 25 years old. Uh, he, uh, uh, was uh, married to someone that played soccer from uh, Utah Valley actually. But, um, before, uh, going to BYU. He was actually, uh, in the church of, uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He was a full-time missionary. Um, but ultimately his uh, father went to BYU as a running back. His mother was a, a gymnast, I think, uh, from BYU. Um, but ultimately he's a Utah guy, uh, went to Maple mountain uh, in high school as a three-star quarterback, um, was a 19th ranked player out of Utah. And then ultimately went to BYU. Um, he actually, I believe was the first black, uh, starting quarterback from BYU, uh, and was a, a two-sport athlete for, uh, for baseball and, um, and football obviously. Um, but, uh, really intrigued by what this guy could be. Um, I think it's the best combination of getting uh, a non first round quarterback, um, but still have a high upside or a high upside without upsetting Kirk cousins. You know, if you take anything higher than that, I think there is some, some tension in your quarterback room. Agreed. And we talked about that a lot in the, in the build up to the draft gals is what's that conversation like. And even if you handle it the right way ahead of time and have a great conversation, you take a guy that your current guy perceived as a threat, that relationship is by definition more strained than it otherwise was. And mm-hmm. then you question if performance is any degree of suboptimal, if that is why. So the Vikings avoid that entire scenario, uh, but still get a quarterback. Uh, so, and, and he's clearly a developmental prospect. The numbers and stats and all that are gaudy at BYU. I mean, it's, you know, 31 to six touchdown to pick ratio last year, 20 to five the year before. Never thought about the Zach Wilson comparison one time until you just mentioned it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I do, you know, he, he had a medical red shirt in 2020. He's 25 years old. I think for a lot of teams that may have actually just taken him off the board. 
mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. uh, part of why it was available in the fifth round, I'm sure. But um, Vikings get their hands on a quarterback. You give the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator and the head coach a little um, a little clay to mold. You know, that that's really what it is. See what you can do with it. Kind of am of the opinion that you take a quarterback every year no matter what because Tom Brady, 199, you know, Drew Brees, second round. Like there's just so – Russell Wilson, third round. There's just so many examples in every round of yep. an elite quarterback that you can find. Yep. Why not do it every year? The, the, the position is so important that yep. it's worth it. So 100%. All right, last player that we will dive deeply into today um, is a running back. It's Dwayne McBride, who the Vikings found in the seventh round, 222nd overall. And I have to admit, I had to look into this and figure out what the heck happened, why this guy was available when he was. Mm -hmm. I come to understand it's likely a medical reason that he was still available in the sixth round. or perhaps character or some combination of both. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't do the scouting on him. I can only read between the lines. It is certainly not from an athleticism or a production standpoint that he fell to where he fell. So um, you're going to go through some of the background here, Giles, but some things that you're going to say about McBride's background indicate to me, like he's got some athleticism and talent and would make me excited to uh, watch him practice and play. Like he'd be a guy where if I was still at TCO with the team, it'd be like, I'm super excited uh, on Tuesday with the first rookie or whenever it was super excited to watch McBride. That guy, I, that kid could play. I wonder what he's going to look like in our colors. Um, so uh, a guy I'll be excited to watch. Something tells me he'll have a lot of carries in the preseason. That's my guess. Yeah, no, uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that in terms of the kind of maybe uh, medical and or character issues, or at least the, the potential of uh, medical issues, right? It could be a, an outstanding thing that could have the possibility of being bad uh, yeah. because uh, even Mel Kuyper Jr. ranked this guy's the fifth best running back in the draft. Like, Jeez. like yeah. that, and this is Mel Kuyper. I mean, it's, this isn't yeah. a nobody uh, ranking him. I mean, his entire family's centered center around football. His brothers are playing D1 football. His uncle played D1 football, went to Vanguard in high school as a three-star recruit, um, uh, ultimately went to the University of Alabama, Birmingham uh, for college and, uh, you know, uh, did some pretty phenomenal things. I think he had the longest touchdown in school history there. Um, so this guy was pretty phenomenal when you look at his pff grades at uab um last year he had a 94.1 grade like this guy was doing great his yeah. his run was pretty phenomenal um so ultimately i think uh the medical issue whatever that may be or whatever you know thing outside of uh, what the pff grades are sta- uh, showing shows that there's a possibility that something could go wrong but if you really trust the leadership inside tco um hopefully they can present a good medical position for him to be healthy as well as put him into a good position from a character standpoint if that is an issue um, to pull the best out of him because if you can get truly the best out of him and have him be available, I really expect him to be quite a phenomenal player for the Vikings. Honestly, when you think about Dalvin cook, maybe moving on from the Vikings this off season, uh, whether it's this off season or next off season, wherever uh, happens for Dalvin cook, I think this guy could be a potential successor. Yeah. I see um, a potential hole in his game. Maybe uh, catching the ball out of the backfield. I don't know if he's got that ability or not. Yeah, it doesn't fair. appear so uh, based on his numbers and background. Only five catches in the last two seasons, according to what I'm looking at. So if that's true, that's obviously a, a thing that you'd look for to see if you can get better at that. I, I'm always careful to levy too heavy of a criticism based on what you can see on paper. Uh, Marcus mm-hmm. Sherrills is the best punt returner in Vikings history, and I don't believe he returned a punt in college. So mm-hmm. 
just because you didn't do it in college doesn't mean you can't do it in the pros or you won't be asked to. So yep. um, that's part of his game that may have to be developed. Yep, 100%. And I think uh, you're absolutely correct. I think his passing game was not necessarily something that was uh, uh, something to write home about. But in terms of rushing yards, he actually led the NCAA in total rushing yards with 1,713 or something. Uh, I think he led the nation in yards per game at 155. He was the uh, CUSA uh, Offensive Player of the Year in 2022. Uh, didn't ultimately play in a bowl game, but like this guy had some pretty phenomenal stats across the board when it comes to actually rushing the football. Yep probably a guy where you just want to get the ball in his hands and let him make some plays. And uh, Kevin O'Connell knows how to do that with offensive weapons and perhaps, um, perhaps a weapon in the return game as well. He's certainly going to have to demonstrate something on special teams in order to make uh, the roster and be a contributor this year. I don't think the cupboard is bare at running back for the Vikings. I think they have some talent in the room, even if cook leaves. Mm -hmm. So not a foregone conclusion that McBride would make the team and be a contributor. He's going to have to prove his mettle. Uh, and I think he'll be given a lot of opportunities to do that in the preseason. I don't expect, especially if Cook is traded or cut, I don't expect Alexander Madison to get much run in the preseason. So other guys like uh, McBride will will be called upon in the preseason, and that that's where he can really wow some people and and end up making the team. So mm-hmm. we'll be interested to see if that happens. All right, so that uh, kind of concludes our breakdown of the Vikings draft class. I think uh, considering it was not a full complement of picks for the Vikings, uh, I think all things considered, they came away from the draft with um, a, a fairly decent haul. They uh, resisted the temptation to jump into next year's collection of picks to uh, supplement or improve their position this year, and they kind of just took their medicine and did it and still came away with some good players. I think they got a guy in Addison who can contribute right away. And, uh, and then they got some, some interesting prospects on both offense and defense behind that. Um, and so for a roster, that's pretty good. Um, that's about all you can ask for from a draft class. So, um, we'll put a bow on, on the draft and now we'll see how these guys, uh, do in, in practices, OTAs and, and the mandatory mini camp in June. Before we uh, wrap it up here, gals, let's preview what's ahead on the Wobcast 2.0 in in the coming weeks and shows. We sort of, uh, you know, we took a position by position look at the Vikings uh, coming out of the season and projected what we thought they needed to do to to be a Super Bowl contender and and to be a good team. Then we went over what they could do and what they ended up doing in free agency. And then, of course, we previewed the draft and then reacted to the draft and have analyzed the draft. So those are the main mechanisms by which a team builds its roster in the offseason. We've kind of reached the conclusion of all that. So what's to come is now the team kind of huddles up at TCO Performance Center and they start going on what they're going to look like in 2023 with OTAs, meetings, practices, culture building. They'll take a break in the middle of June and early July, and then they'll come back to training camp and it's, it's pedaled to, to the metal from there. So what we're going to do is take a look at the Vikings relative to the rest of the division. And we're going to look at it in position by position manner. We'll start with quarterbacks and pass rushers next week. And we'll, we'll have some quantitative and qualitative analysis on it. We'll do both. Um, and and we'll stack it. We'll say, hey, quarterback room, here's who's one, here's who's two, here's who's three, here's who's four. We'll go through every position, and after several weeks, we'll be done, and then we'll take a look at the big picture and say this is where the Vikings sit relative to the rest of the division. Now, 
easy to predict that it's going to be the Vikings and the Lions more times than not in these position groups, but we'll see uh, where all the chips fall and look at it that way. So it'll be a fun exercise for us to do over the next uh, couple of months as, as we sort of glance around the division and see where the Vikings stand relative to their uh, division rivals. Should be a lot of fun, Giles. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. I think uh, ultimately you have to win the division in order to move on uh, to yep. uh, a special old game in um, in uh, the late February. But uh, mm-hmm. I think it's exciting to walk through and see how we uh, stack up to the NFC North. Yeah. So that's what's to come here on the Wobcast 2.0. Uh, we'll have uh, lots of other things uh, that we want to get to as well uh, as we take a look at the league uh, as a whole. Some rules changes that will happen after owners meetings uh, later in the month. We'll take a close look at the Vikings coaching staff. Um, I think next week we'll drill down into top three strengths and top three weaknesses that we see on the Vikings roster uh, as they look to uh, um, improve their standing. Uh, They were an NFC contender last year, but I think the expectation remains that this will be one of the last teams standing in the conference when all is said and done. So to do that, you need to have strengths that you can hang your hat on and you need those strengths to compensate for some weaknesses that you might have. So Giles and I will identify uh, what we think those strengths and weaknesses are next week on the Wobcast 2.0, in addition to looking at quarterbacks and edge rushers in the NFC North. To catch past episodes, future episodes, or to rewatch or re-listen to this one, you do that wherever you find all of your favorite podcasts. So we encourage you to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube, uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcasts is where you can find us. On behalf of Giles, this is Wabi signing off for now. Until next time, Skull Vikings.